framed print hangs on a prominent wall in my boss's office at the Community Foundation of Northwest Georgia in Dalton. It showcases a sleek pink Cadillac, cotton candy pink. The sedan is filled with dark-haired, angel-esque figures riding in a single file in the front and back seats, some with their arms stretched toward heaven. The women look more like they are riding on a roller coaster than cruising in a car. And maybe that's the point. A yellow road winds along the side of the vehicle like a serpent. There are drawings of trees here and there, and stick men, and stick dogs. The treads of the white wall tires are as jagged as a saw blade. Near the taillights and trunk, a crude drawing represents a house near Valleyhead, Alabama. Near the headlights is a drawing of another house with a bright red roof beside the words, Pauline lives here. The piece is like candy for my eyes, so much detail to look at and to contemplate. Text painted on the door panel reads, I never had a wreck or a ticket or been put in jail. I never been drunk. All I ask this world is to live like me so we can close all prisons and throw away the keys. Think on it with me. That message is from the beloved Reverend Howard Finster. He signed his name on the door above the writing. The whimsical pink Cadillac is one of thousands of masterpieces Finster painted for people like me to ponder. And so I often stop in my boss's office and ponder it. Sometimes I interrupt his work and he and I discuss the painting together and we reminisce about our many trips to Finster's stomping grounds, or we talk about how happy we are that Finster's home and garden were salvaged and restored. Today's podcast is about Howard Finster and a place he called Paradise Garden. I'll start by sharing a personal story, and then a few folks will weigh in on the ever-eccentric Howard Finster, his art, and his legacy at Paradise Garden. Hey there. My name is Amber Lanier Nagel, and you are listening to my podcast, Finding Georgia. Come along with me as I explore the people and places that add color and texture to my Georgia. From Paradise Garden near Somerville, to a Bigfoot Museum near Blue Ridge, to a covered bridge outside of Twin City, to a community in South Georgia's onion country named Santa Claus, where it's Christmas 365 days a year. I'll take you to a few places you may not know about in the Peach State, places I've visited and written about in my career as a writer. In other episodes, I'll sit down and visit with colorful characters and storytellers who make Georgia their home. I hope my stories pique your interest in Georgia, its people, and its places. So join me in finding Georgia. He sat quietly in a wooden chair in the corner of the room, a worn Bible resting on his lap. His face showcased a dozen or so deep wrinkles, and his black suit swallowed his body. It was a Sunday in 2000, as I recall, and my husband and I had driven over to Penville, a suburb of Somerville, a small town tucked in the northwestern corner of Georgia, to tour Paradise Garden and listen to Reverend Howard Finster preach his Sunday sermon. We crowded into the small room in the house and nodded our hello to the old preacher man. A few minutes later, he rose and delivered his sermon. He talked about Jesus and asked our small congregation if we knew the Lord. In those few minutes, Reverend Finster tried his best to save our souls. It's what he had devoted his life to, salvation. I was a bit starstruck by the old man. For those of you who don't recognize his name, Howard Finster was famous, world-renowned even, and beloved before his passing in 2001 at 84 years old. 
mankind himself, people, people get up and say, oh, mankind not going to destroy this earth. Uh, God's going to do it. Well, why does the Bible say that he shall destroy them that destroy the earth? My Bible says he shall destroy them that destroy the earth. Mankind is going to have a part in destroying this earth. Now, God may have to finish it off, but God and mankind both is going to have a part in destroying this earth. And destroying of this earth is left up to you. You aren't uh, uh, limited terms to live longer, have a longer earth to live on, or just go on and get worse like the world's getting. Everybody knows the shape of the world. And Howard Fenster don't have to tell people the shape of the world then. Reverend Finster was not only a minister, he was a self-proclaimed man of visions, husband to Pauline, father to five children, a bicycle repairman, a friend to all, an inventor, a builder, a tinkerer, a gardener, a poet, a songwriter, a dreamer, and one of the most prolific and well-known self-taught artists in America. During his lifetime, he produced somewhere in the ballpark of 47,000 pieces of bold, colorful folk art. The art was part of Finster's ministry. Through his work, he recorded intricate visions and prophecies, his interpretations of a world and the messages God had revealed to him. He was good old country folk, born in Alabama in about 1916, and as the story goes, his visions came to him when he was just three years old. He had lost a young sister, Abby Rose, and in a vision, he saw his sibling dressed in a white flowing gown or robe walking down out of the sky and uttering the words, Howard, you're gonna be a man of visions. By 16, he was preaching occasionally at tent revivals. He took on the role of a full-time pastor at 24. He prayed with others, preached sermons, and married and buried people for decades. Then in 1961, he bought his first of many land lots just outside of Somerville, Georgia, in a community called Penville. I asked the executive director of Paradise Garden, Tina Cox, to tell me about his early days in Penville. In addition to being an art collector and serving on the board of directors of the High Museum of Art in Atlanta, Tina Cox knew Reverend Finster and treasured him as a personal friend. You know, early on, uh, Howard, uh, first of all, has been creative. I think most of his entire life, he was he had such a prolific and creative personality, just a lot of fun to be around. Um, as a matter of fact, his children would, would tell you uh, that he was a great father and a great dad, and, and he was just a, uh, just a blast. He was just, he was just fun. And, um, you know, early on, though, he did create uh, uh, miniature doll furniture uh, for the Barbie dolls. It, it, the, the furniture was so beautiful and ornate, very small, and little dressers and little uh, beds with the uh, uh, bed frames, and uh, he also created uh, 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 bookshelves, really ornate bookshelves out of uh, different types of material, uh, mainly plywood. But he would he would um, uh, stain them, and, and ever so often you will see them uh, uh, in a flea market or a yard sale in uh, Tryon or Pennville or Somerville area. So keep your keep your eyes out for something like that. But uh, that was kind of the earlier uh, things that he was creating at the, at the time. And then um, out of need, he really started a uh, bicycle repair shop uh, out of uh, Paradise Garden when he moved uh, uh, to Pennville uh, from Tryon. And he um, ended up uh, fixing lawnmowers and 
and TVs and, and uh, bicycles, and he collected all the all the different parts. I mean, today in Paradise Garden, we have three sheds full of uh, different parts for uh, lawnmowers and TVs and bicycles, and they're very neatly arranged uh, inside these three different sheds, and it's just like a little capsule of time. One of my friends, Janet Byington, also knew Howard Finster when she was a little girl. She also shared a story with me. In my life, I um, grew up uh, knowing Howard Finster before he was Howard Finster. Um, <clears throat> when we were young, um, and it's sort of boring to think about it now, but when we were young, we used to walk to town or we'd ride our bicycles to town. And, you know, at Christmas time, it was a wonderful thing to get a bicycle. Well, if your bicycle broke, you always took it to Reverend Finster. Um, he was up there, uh, it wasn't called Paradise Garden at the time, um, or the Plant Farm Garden, but he was, um, he was up there in Tryon, in, Pen, in the Pinball area, and he always fixed your TVs, and he fixed your bicycles, and, um, and so that's what I really remember about him as a child, um, because our bicycle was our main mode of operation around then, and I think now, you know, riding a couple of miles into town is just something I probably would never let my children do, but it seemed very normal at the time. You know, when you get a new bicycle, you could take it up to Mr. Finster and he would fix it for you, but uh, he would fix your old bicycle, but he would also fix the bicycle up and give it to children who couldn't afford to get a bicycle for Christmas, and so I feel confident that um, my bicycle is in the bicycle tree at Paradise Garden, one of my old bicycle parts is probably in that bicycle tree. And if you go on YouTube, you can see the Radio Free Europe um, video and uh, by the band over in um, Athens. And you can see that, and you'll see that bicycle tree. So I always, because he is the lead singer of the band, was walking through that uh, bicycle tower before it collapsed. Um, so I always think that my bicycle... Uh, it was a little bit of history. It was a part of a little bit of history, and uh, certainly Howard Finster's history. Once upon a time, there was a Western Auto store in Somerville, and that Western Auto store sold shiny new bicycles. One Christmas morning, Reverend Finster watched lots of the kids in the neighborhood zooming around on brand new bikes, but he also noticed that some kids didn't have bikes, so he got to work. He repaired several older bicycles, then painted the frames all one color using tractor enamel paint, and he gave them away to kids in need. That's how big Howard Finster's heart was. According to Tina Cox, he first used tractor enamel paint for some of his earliest works, but when his artwork became more popular, he switched to paint markers and pens because the paint dried faster, allowing him to keep up with demand. But back to those early days. It was during this period that Reverend Finster began building and displaying his works, created mostly from scraps and garbage. He recycled discarded things into masterpieces. He created this beautiful mosaic garden uh, out of concrete, and, and he would put marbles and all different types of fun things, you know, all in the concrete. It was, it was almost like a time capsule uh, of life and, and several different uh, decades. Uh, and there was even Avon uh, perfume bottles and, and a box of chocolates uh, that he had pressed in concrete. And he created these grotto walls uh, with all these different impressions uh, of time. And uh, so, you know, his earlier uh, uh, time period that he was uh, 
uh, really creating. Uh, he was also preaching at the same time. He was actually preaching. Uh, he was at Chelsea Baptist, which was the last uh, Baptist church. He was a minister of from 1950 to 1965. So when he actually purchased that first lot uh, of, of what we now know as Paradise Garden, that was 1961. So he was still preaching uh, full time for four years and. Uh, uh, and then, of course, creating all the doll furniture and the bookcases. He actually did uh, kitchen cabinets also. He really was pretty handy in working with uh, different wood and, and such. And he also, uh, he had part-time jobs uh, at some of the local businesses, uh, mainly uh, the uh, uh, Mount Vernon Mills. It's known now as uh, Vernon Mills. Back then it was known as uh, Regal. And um, so he, he, he definitely was able to make a good living though for his, his family of uh, uh, five plus Polly's his wife and uh, so he was just a really a unique personality and of course we know that uh, in, in 76 uh, he did have uh, his vision. As the legend goes sometime in the 70s Reverend Finster was repairing a bicycle and using his fingers to apply white paint to the frame when he noticed that the paint smudge on the tip of his finger looked like a human face. He sensed a presence and heard a voice say, paint sacred art. And he pulled out a $1 bill out of his pocket and began drawing Washington. George Washington, that is. He drew three Washington heads that day in his garden. After that vision, Reverend Howard Finster began creating thousands of pieces of art with religious and life-affirming themes. They were colorful and interesting, and some were embellished with hand-lettered Bible verses. I remember seeing one of his works shaped like a shoe that reads, Your soul is the most you will ever own, written on the shoe's soul. Get right with God is written on another of my favorites. Some of these pieces feature angels. Some star Elvis-like personas. So after uh, 76, after he had his vision to paint sacred art, it was interesting because Howard really just, I mean, he just started doing it full time. And he, he would also paint night and day. And you can actually see a lot of his paintings. And we, we all know that he painted, you know, 46,991 numbered works of art. Now that's numbered. They did not include any of the dollhouse furniture or any of the bookcases that he did or, or any of the very, very early works that he didn't number. So he actually did more than that. Now, that seems like a lot of artwork, but when you're talking about, you know, Picasso uh, did way more than 50,000 pieces, then that kind of puts it in perspective that, uh, you know, Howard Finster, he did accomplish a lot, but certainly he is not the only artist out there that, that did uh, that many pieces or more. So the interesting thing is, uh, you know, it led into the 80s, and he was really getting good. I mean, 96 all the way to about 82, um, he was really, really honing in on uh, uh, getting his sermons down on on uh, his artwork. But then, and it was, and keep in mind, uh, more and more people started hearing about him and coming to Paradise Garden, especially... Uh, as students from Athens. Uh, he really got pipeline of, of university uh, art students um, and also professors. They were enamored over this charismatic uh, preacher uh, in North Georgia. 
And, uh, and he loved, Howard loved to spend time with them. They would come over and spend, uh, spend the weekends, help him with all of his different building projects. And, you know, Paradise Garden is filled with about 18 uh, different buildings, just different structures uh, all through the garden. And they're all still there today. Um, as, as you know, which is just a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it, it is a time capsule of not only Howard's life, but a lot of our lives, too. And then uh, in, in the early 80s, there was uh, uh, some students out of uh, Athens that uh, uh, they were, one of them was in a band and said, hey, we don't have any money. We'd love to do this video. Nobody did music videos back then. It was, it was unheard of. So um, just a few groups here and there, but it wasn't a, not a mainstream thing to do. And so uh, he said, sure. And one, one reason why Howard was so successful is that he did say yes. He actually said yes to life to so many things that all of a sudden, you know, I, he didn't really know how to do a particular thing that he said yes to, but he just figured it out. He just plowed right through and said yes to life. So. Uh, in the early 80s, that, uh, when that uh, uh, band came and, and uh, ended up uh, uh, filming in Paradise Garden, they filmed all the way through and, and ran through the rolling chair ramp, ran, ran through the, the uh, not, excuse me, not the rolling chair ramp, but uh, the, uh, the bicycle sculpture in and out of that. It was a lot of fun in the Mosaic Garden, a lot of fun. Anyway, we, we all now know who that band is. And that, of course, was, uh, was R.E.M. And then right after that, uh, uh, he had a uh, great show at Phillips Kind Gallery uh, in New York, and uh, uh, David Byrne uh, uh, saw the artwork, loved it, and uh, engaged uh, Howard to create the album cover, uh, the Little Creature. So, so guess what? There's been a merger of, of pop culture here with with the art world, and it was kind of neat because. Um, you know, the only reason why folk art is really uh, known today um, in, in such a, a large realm is because of uh, charismatic artists such as Howard Finster. And, you know, he went on to, um, uh, REM, of course, went on to, uh, they really promoted Howard uh, quite a bit, and, and uh, they did an album cover too, and so did Black Cloth and Uncock and uh, Adam again. and. You know, Howard's career just, art career just started soaring after that. In addition to record album covers for R.E.M. and The Talking Heads, Howard Finster painted a Coke bottle for the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. Also in his heyday, Finster made an appearance on Johnny Carson's The Tonight Show and captivated Johnny and the live audience with his showmanship and animated personality. So you fast forward a few years, and I came back to live in Rome after uh, living in Somerville, and all of a sudden, um, Somerville was just a buzz because um, Reverend Finster was going to be on the Johnny Carson show, and we didn't know anybody from Somerville, Georgia, who had ever been on the Johnny Carson show, and you know how big Johnny Carson was back in the 70s and 80s, and and uh, that was really big time for Somerville, Georgia. So everybody was glued to their TVs to watch uh, Johnny Carson and, and Howard Finster. And the thing that I know that is so important about that is that it was the first time Carson had not taken a commercial break. He was so captivated by Reverend Finster that he just let him go on and on. And he 
sang a song and he uh, talked about, you know, Paradise Garden. And he just, it just really was fascinating um, to watch them. And that's one of the things when you go to the garden today that you see him, um, you see the, the video of that. They have a tape of it in the garden itself. I googled Howard Finster, Johnny Carson, Tonight Show, and found the clip on YouTube. At one point, he stood up and commanded the stage as if he was preaching in the pulpit. He shared a poem. Then he sang a song that sounded like something Hank Williams would have performed. I thought I heard them say, did you come from space? Howard Finster was a hot commodity. The world was falling in love with him. He started off actually in, in 1976, though, uh, with uh, a um, uh, exhibit with the Atlanta Historical Society, and then he went on to uh, the Museum of American Folk Art, which is up in New York. He showed there, I don't know how many times, at least a dozen times. Uh, and then Philip Kine Gallery, of course, in New York, that's where David Burns and the Talking Heads and Little Creatures album was, was uh, that was that seed was planted uh, in the, actually in the early 80s. Uh, Janet Flushman Gallery in Philadelphia, the Library of Congress in 98, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in uh, Richmond, Virginia in, in, uh, in uh, 78, and then on to the Smithsonian by 1981. Can you imagine being an artist starting out in, in 76? And oh, by the way, in Like his art, Finster felt his interviews and appearances served a purpose, to help spread his evangelical messages. He became known as the grandfather of Southern folk art and the Andy Warhol of the South. But Reverend Finster didn't live his life for fame or celebrity status. He believed he was on a mission from God to make sacred art. Tina also told me that Howard would often stay up all night creating art, 
She said that Howard loved Coca-Cola and sometimes, if he got tired, he'd swallow a spoonful of instant coffee and chase it with a long gulp of Coca-Cola. That gave him enough of a jolt of energy to finish what he was working on. I mean, can you imagine? She's a repository of information and stories about her friend, but I wondered how they met and became close. I started volunteering instantly uh, and working uh, in an uh, organization called Young Careers uh, out of the High Museum. It's really the young professionals group. And uh, I ended up uh, um, being a special events chair for that group. And by the way, that group had about 5,000 members in it. It was really large. And I had booked uh, in 1991 then a, uh, a van to take a number of patrons uh, to a uh, North Georgia art environment called uh, Howard Finster's Paradise Garden. And uh, so I loaded up all these people from the High Museum and we went up to uh, Somerville, Georgia, and I walked in the, the door of this kind of country-looking house. And there is a person sitting down uh, at that front door, and there must have been four people deep all the way around him. And, of course, that was Howard Finster. And, uh, and there was, it was all young people, all young people. And I was just looking, trying to think, well, what in the world is so charismatic about this individual? I couldn't even get up to him, barely to even see him. And so I uh, walked outside of the, his house and, and uh, walked all the way through the garden, the, uh, the uh, Paradise Garden as we know it today. And it was really neat. Back in 91, it was filled full of wonderful gems. And, and just like any garden, I understand it, you know, uh, in the early 80s, it looks very different. And then mid-80s, it looks very different. And, and early 90s, of course, it, it had evolved. It was looking a little bit different, uh, just, that, just as it does look a little bit different today. Uh, the gardens do evolve and mature. And uh, so when I went back, he, he didn't have as many people um, around him. And I started, I started up a conversation with him. And what was so neat about him was the fact that he could look straight at you. And you could have four or five people around you or more. And, um, and he, he had this uncanny ability of looking not only at you, but through you and to you. And we really talked about a number of, of just life conversations. And yes, he was up in age then, but that age just kind of went away. And he was just really profound and prolific and charismatic and had, was full of energy. And, um, and he just, you could tell he was engaged and loved to study human beings and loved to be around human beings. He loved animals too. There was, there was all these animals that was in Paradise Garden back then. And uh, so anyway, we just hit it off. And I went back over and over and over again. And we talked every time. And, uh, and he just made you feel special. He had that uncanny ability of just making sure that you, you were heard and you, you felt special around him. And, and it was really neat because <laughs> later, uh, quite a few of us, you know, as, as we were getting older, uh, started talking. You know, it's like I really felt like I was a personal friend of Howard's. And, uh, and uh, all these other people would say the same thing. And he, he, just, he just had that ability. Of, of piercing through and and he just collected people he just did he collected people all walks of life as tina talked i was reminded of my maternal grandmother 
She had nine children and 30 grandchildren who were my first cousins. I was one of 30, yet my grandmother made me feel special, like I was her favorite. I still believe I was her favorite, or one of them. And that's a gift. Howard Finster had that gift as well, an ability to make people feel loved and understood and accepted for who they are. I mean, sure, he was a Baptist minister for 40 years, but he could care less if you were uh, white or black or uh, Latino or Asian. He, uh, you, were, you were all you know, God's child as far as he was concerned. And he could really care less if you were straight or gay or, you know, he just really, he just didn't judge you. You could be, you know, Buddhist or Hindu or uh, Methodist or Catholic. He could care less. He just loved you as as, as as God's child, and he treated you as such. It was just a, what a prolific personality, and still to this day. I, I by the way, I wound up uh, uh, doing so much volunteer work for the High Museum. I ended up being on the board of directors uh, many years later, and I served a, a three-year term. I was on the, the Woodruff uh, board, uh, the trustee board for the Woodruff uh, Foundation, and um, the Woodruff Art Center, excuse me. And, uh, and then I ended up, uh, uh, you know, uh, applying for this job as executive uh, director of Paradise Garden, only because, and, and giving up a huge, huge corporate career, only because I felt like I owed it to Howard. I mean, this is not a job for me. It is just the most, um, it, it is just the coolest thing in the whole wide world. I, I just pinch myself practically every day, and I've been doing this now for about three years. And uh, it is just, it's amazing how that charismatic personality of Howard is still all through that garden. His presence is all through that, that garden. It's everywhere. And then not only that, with people that I meet, we all say the same thing. He all made us feel so special. And uh, th those people had, who had the opportunity to meet him. Um, but not only that, I mean, just just in working with the garden, with with the different grant makers and all the different artists. There's so many artists that actually visited Howard. I mean, it was just it was a mecca of of artists coming to visit uh, Howard uh, off and on, and they still do. And the musicians, and it's just amazing the, the, the creative personalities that come through Paradise Garden today. And he would be so proud of the garden today. He really would. And knowing that it's still there and it's still uh, serving as a creative oasis for, you know, so many people in life. As for me, I fell in love with Finster's bold colors, the characters he repeated in his works, and the messages of salvation. And that's why I was a bit enchanted on that Sunday morning in 2000 when we visited Finster's Paradise and I heard him preach. I knew I was witnessing greatness. All those years ago, my husband and I were saddened to find the property in a state of disrepair, but still there was a beauty and interest to behold. Sidewalks curved around the property with embedded marbles, tools, eating utensils, and chips of dishes, but some of the items had fallen out of the cement. The bicycle tower had vines and grass entwined in the frames. An elevated and closed wooden walkway showcased artwork memorabilia, and more scripture, but it needed maintenance as well. The property itself was hard to maintain because it sits beside a hungry swamp that seems to want to swallow it whole. But Reverend Fenster was there on the day we visited, and we felt honored to hear him preach. 
That made everything okay. He died not too long after we visited his roadside religious shrine, and I don't know why, but it broke my heart. His junk and religion-encrusted wonderland declined even more in the years following his death. But just as the Bible tells an inspiring story of resurrection, this story also has that theme of dying and rising again. Finster followers, family, friends, art lovers, art students, the Chattooka County Development Authority, and politicians joined forces to save Paradise Garden, and grant money and donations began to flow into the newly formed Paradise Garden Foundation. Funding, along with the help of volunteers, made crucial restorations to the property possible, a reality. My husband and I make our pilgrimage over to Paradise Garden most springs for Finsterfest, a folk art festival that honors Reverend Finster. We love the atmosphere and catching up with some of our favorite outsider artists, like missionary Mary Proctor and Bongo Peter Luce. We walk the grounds reverently, taking a break to feast on Mosley barbecue sandwiches from a food truck and tomato sandwiches from the local ladies' garden club. If you aren't familiar with Finster's work, Google his name or visit Atlanta's High Museum of Art and bask in its glory on the fourth floor where you can see a handful of environmental art from Paradise Garden. Better yet, visit Paradise Garden and get the full experience. According to Tina, 95% of Paradise Garden's structures are still intact. Stand at the base of the iconic five-story World's Folk Art Chapel and look upward. Climb into a tiny room made from mirror tiles called the Mirror House that sits on stilts overlooking the Mosaic Garden. Behold Finster's Tower of Tangled Bicycles. Walk the mosaic sidewalks encrusted with bric-a-brac he salvaged from the local dump. Read and consider the signs and messages throughout the property. My friend, David Aft, shares my love of Howard Finster and Paradise Garden. I asked him to weigh in. Paradise Gardens is, is it kind of defies an easy explanation, certainly when you're talking to somebody who's never been there. But in 2017, the DailyBeast.com wrote about Paradise Gardens, and it referred to it as the weird wonderland of Howard Finster. And I, uh, I would use almost that exact same language because it's, uh, it's really an amazing, uh, transformative place when, you, uh, when you're on the property and you look all around there. It's, it's located uh, in a very nondescript neighborhood, uh, kind of off the side of a, a very modest highway in Somerville, Georgia. And you kind of pull into the parking lot. And at first you're greeted by this wonderful um, welcome center. And as you go through there, you kind of get an idea about Finster's story, the history of the property, uh, the work that uh, the team and leaders over there have done to, to renovate the facility and everything. And then you walk through the door and you are on the property. And uh, I, I, I don't know if there are words that are able to describe it, but magical, um, weird, wonderland, all of those are absolutely perfect. Um, so many times we look at the art that people create and we don't understand the context. Maybe we learn a little bit about the history and we learn a little bit about the, the, the manner in which they produce their art, but rarely do you get to visit the very environment that gave rise to so much of this amazing, wonderful stuff that came out during Finster's life. You know, as, as a man, as a minister, as, as an artist, he had an unending enthusiasm and a, a great deal of energy, and it's evident all over the property. It's a, a feast for the eyes. Um, I remember the first time that uh, I went over there, I, I, I walked 
around and it was amazing to me because he had he had collected so much stuff and 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 repurposed it whether it was sculptures made of aging bicycle parts or sidewalks created by collected um, the ephemera of, of all of the the stuff that we throw away sometimes broken glass and tile and all these wonderful things but they all became the backdrop the collage of of paradise gardens and you know it's just you know really you feel like you're there you can sit down on a bench and listen to the little brook that runs through the property and you can really feel those influences that work their way into you know finster's amazing uh, amazing stuff it's uh, it, it, it's a treat to be able to get out there because you don't always get that kind of visit with with artists i found a uh, a really neat piece as i was as i was preparing for for this conversation today and it is within the tower which for anybody who ever visits the property is this four and a half story tall almost uh, uh, it, it looks almost like a tiered wedding cake, and uh, from its higher levels, you can see the entire property. But it, it in and of itself is a piece of art, and on the wall is written, I took the pieces you threw away, put them together by night and day, washed by rain and dried by sun, a million pieces all in one. And that's Paradise Garden. It's a million pieces that works as a symphony for your eyes and gives you a really amazing insight into, uh, into what Finster uh, brought us, his gifts and uh, you know, his very unique perspective. I've known David for 20 years. He and his wife are both gifted artists. They own a gallery in downtown Dalton. And David's not only a close friend of mine, he's also my boss. The print I described at the beginning of this podcast belongs to David. Pink Cadillac hangs on his wall. One, I, I believe true art uh, is an artist showing you what is in their mind. It's a unique perspective that they can only give you. And Finster stuff is so unusual. And this pink Cadillac is just uh, just about as cool a piece as I could imagine receiving as a wedding present. But that was just the beginning. I, I did a little deeper dive and I kind of looked at the piece and it's, uh, you know, it had some writing on it. And I wanted to decipher that. And uh, so I come to now learn that this pink Cadillac has the inscription Pauline on it. Well, unbeknownst to any of us, well, Pauline happened to be Finster's wife. Um, and Pauline happens to actually be the name of my wife as well, which, you know, was an amazing coincidence. So I said, okay, dig a little deeper. And I learned that, uh, you know, this particular piece of art illustrates his birthplace and hometown. And he paints the house where he was born, his father's truck, the Finster barn, the well, and a road, it says Road 11, that went up to Pauline's house. And that is what the illustration on this pink Cadillac is. And I didn't know that story. And uh, I, I, I may be wrong, but I don't think the folks who gave it to us knew all of that story. But this car might as well have been called Pauline, and it was in celebration of my marriage to Pauline. So I, I don't know if the, uh, the, the art gods were around us at this stage, but it was a wonderful thing. But like I said, you know, all of, all of Finster's work is, uh, has got this amazing magnetism, and, and there's so much more to learn when you embrace it to, and find out more about his approach to it, why he painted what he did. Um, 
there are many Cadillacs, including one on the Paradise Gardens property that was painted by Finster himself. So I, I think he had a uh, lifetime obsession, as many do, with uh, with Cadillacs. And uh, uh, in terms of their, their symbols out there in his work, I think they stand for the strength and the forward mobility and, and a certain aspirational thing. Because when he was growing up, uh, I believe a Cadillac was something that uh, he thought maybe that was a symbol of either a rival or success or just a darn fine automobile built in America that uh, can take you to the next place. When I was preparing for this podcast, Tina Cox shared that they are the recipients of yet another National Endowment for the Arts grant. Cox told me that this one will be used to create a restoration plan and 3D laser blueprints of the beloved World's Folk Art Church. She also told me that they've acquired the last piece of land completing Reverend Finster's original campus, and that since reopening in 2012, 47,000 people have visited from 33 countries. She said that they have launched a revenue sustainability plan, which has created three Airbnb lodging facilities, providing a steady revenue stream and much-needed lodging opportunities for the area. They'll launch a legacy gift campaign in the near future to generate funds to maintain Paradise Garden in perpetuity. Howard Finster left a legacy, and today, Paradise Garden is one of those off-the-beaten-path places in Northwest Georgia. Noteworthy, and yes, even sacred. Reverend Finster's spiritual mission lives on. Paradise Garden is located at 200 Lewis Street, just outside of lovely Somerville, Georgia, Visit their website, www.paradisegardenfoundation.org, for hours of operation, directions, and details. Been year-round, Tuesday through Sunday, from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., but of course, that can change. I also want to mention that they have a nice gift shop on the premises, offering wonderful t-shirts, prints, and Finster-inspired home decor. Finally, don't forget the National Endowment for the Arts-sponsored Finsterfest, a communion of 60 folk artists, musical performers, and fans who come to Pinville each year to celebrate the late Howard Finster and outsider art. Make a point to attend that in 2021. Thank you to my guests, Tina Cox, Janet Byington, and David Aft, and of course, thank you to the late Reverend Howard Finster. Thank you for listening to Finding Georgia with Amber Lanier Nagel. Until next time, y'all stay safe.